Welcome to the Crossing Church Weekly Sermon Podcast. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit our website at thecrossing.cc. Good morning. I appreciate that. All of your checks are in the mail. Well, good morning, everybody. Uh, Out front, you are gonna see there's a bunch of tables. There's also a snow cone truck. Don't miss that, but we are, this is our summer session of Life Groups, and Life Groups Gang is not just something that, not just a program that we use to busy ourselves. We're all busy enough. It is where we take the large church gathering and break us into smaller groups. How many of you know that the early church started actually in homes and in small groups, and they built relationships to the point where they said, look, I'll die for you, I'll cover you. And uh, those kind of tight relationships don't happen on a Sunday morning, though this is very important. But this is where the church comes and, and we go shoulder to shoulder and there's groups out there where you can shoot a gun, I think you can hit a baseball, or you can study the depths of Hebrew and Greek and everything in between. And, or you can eat good food, but I, I wanna encourage you, go out there and find a group, try a couple of groups, and uh, let's get involved with some other people, amen? amen. Excellent. Well, uh, praise God, we are going to dive right into the final uh, segment of our series, Frequently Asked Questions, uh, a bit of a ask the pastor time, and for those of you that are new with us, we, uh, back at Easter, and we do this every year now, uh, we surveyed all of you and all of the folks that were with us, and we got hundreds of questions of uh, that people said, hey, this is what I wanna know about. And so uh, the first uh, session was on how do, how do I hear the voice of God? We talked about that. Uh, how does the church and the Bible deal with homosexuality and transgenderism and all that? And we, we t- t- tackled that. And then uh, we tackled kind of a nuanced thing of, you know, why does God heal this one and not that one? Kind of the fairness of God. Uh, we, we dove into that, and we looked at that in our last time together. Pastor Dallas did a fantastic job last week talking about community. Can we? And, uh, and so this week, though, I want to I tackle the last one. Now, uh, let, me, let me just say, many of you ask me questions on the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit, the gifts of the Spirit. And so uh, I, I don't want to do that in a one-off type message. I'm going to set up a series, and we'll tackle that. In answer to your questions, we're going we're gonna to tackle that in the fall, where I can build four or five weeks, because that's going to take us a little bit, and I want to I do us a good job. The question I want to tackle today, though, is one that uh, two years ago, actually, we, we tackled it, and, uh, but, it, but it tells me, this was actually the second most asked question, and it's this. In essence, everybody, uh, people ask this question, can I lose my salvation? Uh, folks sent me questions and it sounded like this. Do you believe once saved, always saved? Questions like that. What, what, what that tells me is that in our church, we've got all, all, all different backgrounds, denominational backgrounds throughout our church. And gang, let me, let me tell you, that's the church I dreamed of. This is the church I dreamed of, that uh, it wouldn't just be uh, Pentecostals and not Baptists or Baptists and not Pentecostals or uh, no Catholics. or anything. I, I've dreamed of Catholics and Methodists and Presbyterians and Lutherans and heathen and worse heathen and just <laughs> what off the street, just people who come together centrally, not because we believe every nuance together. So, so let me go ahead and tell you today, uh, I will offend everybody at some point in the message if you have a church background. If you have a church background, uh, you, at some point, your grandmother said, we believe this, and this is just who we are, and you don't, you don't listen to anybody else, okay? And you got it in you, and so if I hit, if I hit a certain nerve, you go, oh, I just don't believe that. Calm down. 
for 500 years, this, this, the security of salvation has been debated for 500 years by brilliant, God-loving, kingdom-expanding, make-things-happen godly men and women. And so there, and there are arguments down each wrote biblical doctrinal arguments as to why somebody would take the position. For instance, if you came from a, uh, from a, a, say a Calvinist or Reformed Baptist, a Calvinist would be Presbyterian. If you have a Presbyterian background, you would say that God elects people. In other words, his grace is, is undeniable. So if he puts his hand on you and says, you're gonna be saved, you're part of the elected and so, and if he doesn't put his hand on you, you can't be saved. It's called e- election. That's what Reformed theology basically is. And I know some of my Reformed people go, that's not really what it's saying. I'm just, for the sake of quickness, uh, it basically means God has pre-selected who will and won't be saved. And you can't deny him if he has selected you. And you can't get saved if he hadn't. So that's what Calvinism is, probably in rough redneck language. And uh, so you would say of somebody, well, you know, they're saved if God has elected them. Uh, if you're of a, of a Southern Baptist background or, or a basic B-flat Baptist, anything but a Reformed Baptist, you would say, once saved, always saved. Can't, can't get down. Once you're saved, you're, you're always saved. Respect that. And great biblical doctrinal thesis for, for building that argument. Uh, if you're Catholic, come from a Catholic background, uh, a Catholic basically believes whatever your state of being is when you die, in other words, you know, good or bad, that, that's where you're gonna, that's when the decision's gonna be made, all right? Uh, if you're a Pentecostal, now see, I came from the Pentecostal uh, charismatic world, and uh, if you come from this world, and so, I, and so listen, when you come from a particular group, you can be harder on that group, it's the rules. So I'm just, uh, <laughs> Baptist people can tell good Baptist jokes. I'm a charismatic, so I can, I can mess with us. And so, by the way, there isn't an us, there's just, there's just God, we're all in the same kingdom. Uh, but having come from that background, you, you, us Pentecostals, we never knew where, whether we were saved or not. <clears throat> you were saved on Tuesday, lost again on Wednesday, uh, <clears throat> saved on Thursday, very unsaved by Friday night, late. <laughs> when you slept that off and woke up about one on Saturday, you were able to get it back together in time to get to church where you ran to the altars, got it right again, and by Monday morning, you're out again. Basically, we were taught, um, you know, you're saved until you hit your next sin, and if Jesus comes back, and there was a lot of of talk about the return of Jesus, so if Jesus comes back and you hadn't repented of that sin, well, you're out. And so, and so you try to get, so a lot of the the motivation there, by the way, let me say, I pick on us Pentecostals, and I know some of you are going to be sending me hate mail, listen to me. Uh, I am so thankful for where I came from. Uh, the, the, we, we got a lot right. There was a whole lot right there. The fact that I was raised to anticipate the nowness of the power of God, that the, the gifts of the Spirit are free to us, open to us, and we can engage those, uh, all of those things. I did learn holiness. I mean, we preached holiness, and if you weren't holy, you're going to hell. And uh, our motive for being holy was the fear of hell, which that, that is no way to get holy. You cannot get holy fearing hell. If you could have... I would have gotten it done. Uh, I tried desperately to mess hell on my own. And, uh, and, I, and those, again, I, I, some of you just read through 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. Stacy's reading group has been going through 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. And in 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, you learn in there that the, the way to, to be holy is not fearing hell, but it's loving God. Yes. If you love him, you keep yes. his commandment. It's a far better. Now, the way to get saved is to be afraid of hell. 
You know what I'm saying? The, we, we preach the law. What happened? And so let me just talk to my Pentecostals. And there only may be a handful of you. Those of you that were raised in that, though, uh, because evangelism started with preaching hell and that got people saved, well, our ancestors used to think, well, if preaching hell gets them saved, we'll just keep preaching hell even after they're saved to try to make them holy. So they just kept you dangled over hell all the time, like, oh, I don't know about you. Oh, you're going to fall. And I'll just tell you, it's a great way to get saved because nobody wants to go to hell. It's a terrible way to become holy because you cannot become holy out of fear, right? You, you do it out of love. And so anyway, so, uh, okay, so, so because of that, and I've told this story 20 times and every time, so, so there might be somebody new, so just bear with me. Uh, as a child growing up in, uh, in Pentecost and uh, a little church there in Huntsville, precious church, I'm grateful for my pastor. But uh, we preached, uh, you, you know, you lose your salvation all the time. So I was raised on a prison farm and uh, since from the time three years old to the time I was 20. And uh, so my vocabulary and uh, syntax and all of my good English verbiage came from inmates who were, uh, worked our yard or, or were cooks or whatever. And I was in, in and out of, uh, and, and I apologize for the term, but, but this is in the 60s and 70s, they were called houseboys or houseboys quarters. And it was a, a, a longed for position if you're an inmate because you had a lot of freedom, you're able to go into these houses. So. Uh, so I'd go into our, our houseboys' quarters and to the, to the neighbor's houseboys' quarters and all this. And so I got to know these guys, played dominoes with them, learned to cheat. Man, these dudes were cheats. And I learned to, I learned to play some dominoes. But I also learned they, would, they could string curse words together, like take a breath and talk for like a minute and one sentence, and every other word would be... Man, they'd drop every bomb you could drop. Some of these words I never even heard. They just made stuff up. It was just the most filthy thing. And when they had finished a sentence, I would just, as a kid, I just thought, that is fantastic. <laughs> How did you do that? So uh, naturally, I picked up some of these words and uh, didn't go well in the house, but uh, some of them, and they became second nature to me, all right? So uh, one particular phrase, and I, I won't say it here, but you know, if I hit my finger or if somebody smacked me in the nose or if I took a lick out on the baseball field or uh, any kind of sudden disturbance, there, I was gonna say, oh, and then blank. That, that became somewhat natural to me. So I'm not trying to offend you, I'm trying to tell you, just to be real. Can we be real in the room, all right? We can act all religious next week, so just be real with you. So I went to my Sunday school teacher knowing that, uh, you know what, you gotta get right with God, and my pastor used to preach this sermon. At the end of every message, he'd say, look, when you're heading home today and you cross the railroad tracks, if you get hit by a train, do you know whether you're going to heaven or, or hell? Because it could happen. And apparently there was a lot of train accidents back in the 60s and 70s. So they said every, every single Sunday, that was kind of like the scare thing. Of course, all of us kids would run to the altar and go, oh, dear God, please, 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 because I'm going to be hit by a train today. So I, I asked my, uh, my Sunday school teacher. I was a very logical kid. So I asked my Sunday school teacher. I said, okay, so help me out here. I, I go to the altar. I pray I get all cleaned up. I'm heading home, and as we cross those railroad tracks that I begged my dad, don't cross any railroad tracks today, but if I cross the railroad tracks and I see that train, I'm going to say, oh, blank, I know I am. <laughs> and here's what I, I asked her point blank. I said, so if right before that train hits me, I go, oh, blank, and that hits me and kills me, and I don't get a chance to repent, do I go to heaven or do I go to hell? She said, oh, you're going to hell. <laughs> I, was like, I said, oh, blank. Uh, I'm in real trouble. 
That, that was the level of the security of, of my salvation that, that I had. And I've told that 20 times. Y'all laugh every single time. And uh, that was the level. And so, again, let me just tell you, even up until I was pastoring, up until my, when that stuff gets formed in you, when uh, insecurity about God's love and the power of, of, of his acceptance, when that gets called into question as a child, that, that forms your, constant, your conscience. Your conscience is, my conscience is always hunting for, Harvey, what's wrong with you? Why wouldn't he kick you out? I just was trained that way. Your conscience is not your guide. Right. Yeah, that's a little, that's what is that little, uh, let your conscience be your guide, that little grasshopper thing on Disney. Don't listen to him. No, no. <laughs> the Holy Spirit and your conscience are not the same thing. He can use your conscience, but the voice of the Holy Spirit's gonna agree with the word of God. Right. And our conscience, our heart, if you will, can condemn us, and we have to take the word of God and assure our own heart, that's in oh, Hebrews, that's as to what the word of God is. But when you're trained as a child, you go by your feelings. I'm a feeler. And so when I felt guilty, I thought, man, I'm just, I'm out. And all up to this very moment that I stand here, that propensity in my feelings is in me. It's, it's just a learned thing. Now, I have learned that that's a lying thing. But some of you were raised. And so the question's on the table. How secure is your salvation? And so I want to give you the quick answer, which is going to make some of you mad and some of you are going to drop the microphone. Uh, so, but, and then let me explain, okay? Okay, so, a point. As a maturing church, obviously, we're not gonna all agree on the nuances. So let me give you some good news. We don't have to, and don't be offended. Let's be big boys and girls. I mean, if I don't say it just like your grandmother said it, oh, I don't believe all that, I just hogwash. Just stop all that, grow up. I mean, we're, we're not gonna agree on all the nuances. If brilliant men and women over 500 years haven't agreed, I might say something, and you might get your feelings hurt. Let's, let's, let's be big boys and girls. Agreed? Yeah. Okay, so my quick answer. Can you lose? Do you believe in one state? Always say, can you lose your salvation? Go. Key word for me here is lose. Can you lose your salvation? So here's my quick answer. No, you can't lose your salvation. can't lose it. Like, I lost my keys. I lost my wallet. I lost... When, when I hear that word, the picture I get is that somebody is genuinely born again, they're generally born again, but they quit going to church and they kind of drift a little and they, they get cold toward God in their relationship and all of a sudden they're wondering, well, am I saved or aren't I saved? Your feelings may lie to you, but if, if the spirit of the living God genuinely changed you and you were born again, you don't lose it by poor behavior. I promise you, you're gonna return back or there, there's lots of explanations. So can, can you lose it? Like, oh, I've just, I've just not been as holy as I was. It's too big, and it's bigger than you are, okay? Uh, so it's not a fragile thing. You say, uh, however, there are some passages of Scripture that create conflict in saying there's just absolutely no way out of it. And I'm going to look at those in a second. But here's what I mean. You can't lose it, but you can divorce yourself from that covenant. I believe that, okay? I believe that, but uh, we're not here to... And I know some of you are going to get a little rough. I, I know. But here's why. Here's why. I, I, this is where I'm at. <clears throat> from, <coughs> excuse me. From, the, from Genesis to Revelation, I see that God respects one thing <clears throat> that puts us in jeopardy. That is, he respects the, the free will of man. You can choose him or you cannot choose him. The will of God is that none would be perished and all would be saved. That's the will of God. 
He doesn't make us do that, though he, he, there's not one human ever born that it's not his will that they be saved. And so by the will of man, we say, God, I know you love me. I love you back. That's how you get saved, right? So if a person, and here, so let me, let me walk you through a scenario. And gang, you, you can disagree. It's okay. But somebody gets genuinely saved, filled with the Spirit, on fire, clearly demonstrating that they have come into covenant with God. What I have found now over these years and then people that I would say, I believe they have dis divorced themselves. They didn't lose it. They didn't sin and go, oh, I'm not saved. It wasn't a nice fragile salvation stuff. I believe what I've seen with my eyes is that somebody, here's it, when holiness comes to live in you, your flesh is gonna have issues with the new resident because your flesh has appetites and they do not go away. You have hunger and you have appetites and appetites have to be controlled. Appetites is what you want. Hunger is what you have to have, is what you need. You have these appetites and you have cravings for particular sin. I have seen people begin to resent that they have to continually fight against their flesh. Sick acting like all my friends are getting to do that and they just get to do that and the Baptists, because they're once saved, always saved. They just get to do it and go to heaven anyway. Now, we've got all these different things going through our head. We start to build a resentment toward God that we don't get to do what we want to do. And thoughts come into our minds and years pass and we start to think, you know what, I think that was just my mom's religion and I'm embarrassed that I was even, how could I have been so brainwashed as a child to even believe that? And all of a sudden our appetites and the frailty of our mind, uh, we have seen, Dallas was walking me through some person this week that would say, you know what, I'm embarrassed, I was, I was, uh, I was brainwashed as a child I don't believe that stuff anymore. I don't want to be identified with that. That's embarrassing to be identified. That person there is by their will, in my estimation, and I've got other good news for you, none of us get to make the call on a person. So my call doesn't mean anything. It's, there's one judge, and he's really good at it, and he's 100% accurate. But my call on that person, since you asked the question, would be, when you, when you denounce by your own choice, God, I don't want to be associated with you. I believe God will respect that. Why on earth would a person do that? And I know you're gonna send me all kinds, of, what about this and what about that? I'm probably not gonna answer all those because I just, I don't know, I'm not the judge. But, so can you lose it? You can't lose it. We're gonna talk about salvation. Could you divorce yourself from the, from the covenant? I see scripture, some scripture that, that, that bother me enough to say, you know, I, I believe so. You can forfeit it uh, by some decision making. So let's look at it, but we're gonna look at about how awesome salvation is more than how fragile it might be in some nuanced situation. Because that's the bigger deal here today. I want you to turn your minds toward salvation. So in order, order to do this, let, let's figure out what salvation is, and then once we figure out what it is, we can start to ask better questions on how in the world can you undo what, what happened? Y'all with me? All right. What is salvation? So let me, let me do a little illustration here. Salvation is a covenant. Everybody say covenant. covenant. In the Bible, there's two covenants. There's the old covenant. And the old covenant between God and human beings went like this. God said on one side of the table, all the paper written out. And he said, look, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to rescue you. I'm going to provide for you. I'm going to take care of you. I'm going I'm to thump your enemies and I'm going to make you prosperous that's my side of the deal. I'm gonna love you, I'm gonna accept you, and I'm gonna be your God. That's my side of the table, all right? So flip the contract around. You, Israel, here's your side of the table. I want you to obey me. 
I got 10 commandments, just 10. Pay attention to them, not too many, not 12. Just pay attention to those. Got a couple of dietary things I want you to pay attention to. But I want you to love me. I want you to obey me. And here's a biggie. Don't serve any other gods. I am the one and only. There is no, I am it. That's your side of the deal. Do we have a deal? And they said, yes, we've got a deal. So we will, we will ratify this in the blood of lambs and goats and bulls. And once a year, for your sin, you kill your favorite lamb or whatever, bleed him out, and that blood will satisfy me over your misdoings for one full year. That's, that's the deal. We got a deal. Well, here's the problem. God kept his side of the covenant, but Israel, as quickly as they could, they served other gods. They disobeyed. They, they fell away. The problem with the first covenant wasn't that it wasn't perfect and it wasn't good. Mankind could not keep their end of the deal. God never thought we could. He wasn't doing it to go, let's give this a chance. The old covenant and the law was put in place to prove to us the holiness required by God. It's not that you don't want to. You can't. And if we don't humble ourselves enough, there are people in this room right now who are thinking in your mind, I'm pretty good. I mean, I'm pretty good. I got a little thing over here, but I think God is good with me because I'm pretty good. Hear me. The best four seconds of your life after a Holy Ghost revival, you go home and you're asleep. You can't do anything wrong. The best four seconds you could present of your life is not holy enough or perfect enough or righteous enough to be accepted by our holy God. Do you hear me? God wanted us to know that. And so once we blew the deal, God said, okay, new covenant. I'm sending Jesus. And here's what he said. I'm going to bless you, save you, rescue you, accept you, provide. That's my side of the deal. And he says, here's your side of the deal. On this side of the table, he says, wait a minute. Y'all can't keep your side of the deal. So I'm going to come, God, and become a man and I will do not only my part of the deal, but I'm going to do your part of the deal to be sure that the deal, the covenant, can't be broken. So God the Father sent God the Son on this side of the table, and he said, I want you to live righteously and perfectly and just, and Jesus lived absolutely perfectly, and the two of them, and you'll find this in Hebrews 6, no times to get to it, just right, take a note. Hebrews 6, the back end of it, it says, when God could swear by no, nothing any higher, he swore by himself. In other words, this agreement was God, and it's a better word for swear, but I just, this is New King James. God swore to Jesus, I'll never leave or forsake you. You will always be my son, and you are fully accepted. And Jesus swore to God, and I will always be obedient. When he could swear by no other things, by these two unchangeable things, the scripture says, his oath or covenant and his promises, two unchangeable things, this covenant was made between God and God yes. together, unbreakable, unsealable, unchangeable, unundoable. There is no NAFTA. There's no uh, agreement by any two men, any two nations. There's nothing remotely close to the power of God the Father, God the Son, saying, we agree over this covenant. This covenant is now sealed in the blood of Jesus Christ, and it is unbreakable, unbendable. You can't. It's powerful. That's the covenant, the new covenant. 
So with the new covenant, but now Jesus representing us with God and God made a covenant. Scripture says this covenant is an anchor to our soul. Our soul is prone to be insecure. There's not one believer in here, if you're genuinely following Christ, that you don't have times or have had times when you go, am I saved? Am I doing good enough? God, how are we? That ins- we're prone toward that insecurity. The beauty of this says Hebrews back into six. That's what I should have. That's what I should have preached out of because that's what I'm doing. But Hebrews chapter six says that's an anchor for our soul. The fact that God and God made a covenant. It's an anchor to my soul because there's no way God and God can get in disagreement. We get in on salvation. So what is salvation? It's a covenant between God the Father, God the Son representing us. We place our faith in God the Son and we become. When, when you see it all through scripture, in Christ, you'll see that often. Uh, any man, if any man be in Christ, what does that mean? You're squished between God and God in the middle. You're in the covenant. You got in on it by faith. So what is salvation? It's what I just described there. And number one, it is by grace, God's grace toward us and our faith back back toward him, that's how we are saved. Ephesians 2, 8 and 10 says, for by grace, that is God's goodness to do what I just described, you have been saved through faith. That's your part. And that's not of yourself. It's a gift of God, not of works, being a good boy, lest anybody should boast. For we are his workmanship created or recreated or born afresh again, recreated in Christ Jesus. Everybody say, in Christ Jesus recreated a fresh and new in Christ Jesus for good works for God, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. That's how we come back into the life we were born to live is by coming into Christ and into, in between, in on this covenant between God and God. You aren't making the covenant happen. You by faith have joined it. God the Father, God the Son are inseparable and there's nothing like it in the history of the history as powerful as the connection and agreement of those two. An unbreakable covenant. That's what salvation is. Salvation continues. Number two, God gave me righteousness as a gift. What happened at salvation? God gave me righteousness as a gift. For, uh, Romans 5, 17, for if by one man's offense, death reigned through the one, that is, we were all born into Adam and Adam's one sin doomed us all. That's what we're born into. Much more those who receive abundance of grace, that's a lot of grace, and the gift of righteousness. Everybody say gift of righteousness. The gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. People who will accept the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness. Now, this is a tough one, but this is, listen, salvation is so much bigger than we preach it. It's so much grander, and that's why we question, well, what happened? I just said a little prayer. Is that keep or not? (laughs) I don't know whether you're saved or not, but when you are genuinely saved, you come into a God-to-God covenant. You get in on it. You're in Christ. Number two, you have a gift of righteousness. What does that mean? The reason you can't sin your way out of it is because you're gonna goof up and you're gonna mess up. When you get saved, you cannot say to God, God, I'll never do it again. And I said it thousands of times. This was the last, I know this 112 times, but that was the maybe next Monday. But after that, I swear, that's it. I came to a place where many of you will come and that is to say, God, I want to tell you I'll never do that again. 
I've messed up so many times. I can't even tell you that. You know what he says to me? That's why, Randy, it isn't your righteousness. I took your sin yesterday, the ones I could commit today, the ones I could commit tomorrow, I took all of those and I put those abundantly on Jesus and he paid for it on that cross right there. I pummeled, by my wrath, I punished your sin so that I would be just. I didn't just wink at your sin, I justified it. It's adjudicated legally by the blood of Jesus. I put your sin onto Jesus who never did anything foul. And Randy, you hardly do anything right, no offense, but I took his righteousness and the record of his righteousness and I gifted it to you. You are the righteousness of God in Christ. Once you're in, you are the righteousness of God in Christ. I am as righteous before God as Jesus is as a gift, not based on how good a week I'm having. That's what salvation accomplished for us. Number three, God saves me not just from hell, but into a whole new life and eternity. God doesn't just save me from something. He saved me into something. So I was, uh, basically I came to Christ uh, 911 times by my fear of hell. I really, as a child, did, did not know much about God other than he was touchy, he was hard to please, and he was looking for anything he could do. He just seemed to have a good time dangling me over hell. That was a wrong perception. Right. But I want you to hear something. My salvation experience and some of yours was the same. I, and listen, to be afraid of hell, listen, if you're not afraid of hell, be afraid. Be very, very afraid. You should be afraid <laughs> of hell. And it's a good way to start. It's a good way to get saved, Okay. But salvation, it, that's almost the smallest part of salvation. Yes, you're rescued from eternity in hell, but it's about what you're rescued into, yes. what you got. I mean, here's, the honest truth is there's a lot of people that if I preach hell, who wouldn't go, well, I don't want to miss that. The question is not do you not want to be there. The question is do you want to be with God? Right. Salvation the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of us whereby we cry, Abba, Father, which means, Daddy, I want to know you. I want to be with you. I want to hear your voice. The question is not what do you want to miss. Here's the issue. I mean, if you don't like God now, you're going to hate heaven. I mean, it's just all God everywhere. You don't want him in your business now? You do not want to go to heaven. <laughs> heaven and hell issue. Salvation is not just, oh, God. I guess I'm gonna have to play a harp naked on some cloud somewhere to go to heaven, but at least I'm not going to hell. <laughs> heaven is about God. I want you. I want to be with you. So what were you saved into according to the scripture? Still talking about what is salvation. Hebrews 12, 23 says, you have come. In other words, when you got saved, you've come to God himself. Praise God, who's the judge over all things. You've come, check this. This is what happened to your spirit. You've come to the spirit's of the righteous ones in heaven who have now been made perfect. When you got saved, it wasn't just like a little prayer and then go over to eat some chicken for lunch and off, off you went. Your spirit was reborn and it joined the spirits 
of the righteous people made perfect. In other words, your spirit was made perfect and heaven ready at the miracle of salvation. If you really got saved, you've joined God, you've joined the spirits of the righteous made perfect. You've come to Jesus, the one who mediates the new covenant. The part that, uh, our part, is mediating the new covenant between God and people. And to the sprinkled blood, which speaks of forgiveness instead of crying for vengeance, like the blood of Abel. In other words, all of your nastiness and all the guilt and all the things that rise in our conscience to say, you're no good, you're not worth being saved. The loudness of that and the authority that it has it is subdued by the authority of the blood of Jesus saying, no, forgiven, accepted, done, adjudicated. His blood currently, if you're born again, is consistently interceding, saying better things of you than your life and your experience is saying about you. Disqualified, no, qualified by the blood of Jesus. Salvation's a good thing. It's a really good thing. Jesus lives forever to be my intercession. Hebrews 7, 24 says, but because Jesus lives forever, I say forever, forever. His priesthood lasts how long? Forever. Therefore, he is able once and forever to save those who come to God through him. He lives forever to intercede with God on their behalf. The power of salvation is not just week to week, month to month, or till you die. The power of salvation at the beginning of it, it is now eternally set. All the, the, the parts of salvation, his blood, his intercession, his priesthood, all that keeps you in, it's eternal. It's not a fragile thing, gang, is what I'm trying to tell you. It's not a fragile thing. This ought to be good news to some of your souls. My grandmother's rolling over in her grave, sir. I know, <laughs> mine too, <laughs> both of mine. Okay, lastly, what is salvation? And I'm cutting this short. The miracle of salvation establishes me in Christ. Everybody say in Christ. Christ. Or better, in the Christ God covenant. When I, when I came to salvation, I'm in Christ. So 1 John 4, 17 and 19, because of that, says this. By this love is perfected with us so that we may have confidence. Everybody say confidence. God wants you to know what cost him so much to get to you and to rescue you. You can live your life with confidence. Here's what this says. So that you may have confidence in the day of judgment. Man, I was, I was taught judgment day. And man, every time I hear the word and still to this moment when I say judgment day, I think of the white throne judgment. And God's going to look for your name. And you know, if your name's not in the book, all of this stuff. And that's, listen, if you're not born again, you're going to be at the white throne judgment. He's going to look for your name, and he's going to look at you and go, you're not here. But if you're born again, you're not going to be at that judgment. This is what this says, that you can have confidence on judgment day. In other words, you're not going, I wonder how this is going to turn out. By the blood of Jesus speaking loud. In fact, Jude tells us this. Jesus is going to waltz you up before God and stand you holy and blameless before God. Not some hope so, hope I've been good enough this week to make heaven. Not that kind of thing at all. It's not based on you. Amen. Let me finish this scripture. It says this. You can be confident on judgment day because as he is, as Jesus is, so also are we in this world. 
There's no fear in love because perfect love casts out fear, for fear has to do with punishment and hell and judgment. Whoever fears has not been perfected in love. And gang, this is a work. This is a work I'm working on. That is to receive the love of God at the level that it's taught. My feelings don't agree with what I just read. Randy, I have a hard time feeling as loved as the scripture says I am. And so by faith, I have to say, God, I'm loved. I accept it because the confidence in the day of judgment doesn't have to do with being afraid of hell. It has to do with loving God and receiving his love for me. That scripture just said this, as he is in this world, so am I. Which means again, as righteous as he is, so am I positionally before God. Means this, when Jesus gets kicked out of the right hand of the Father, then I will. But that's not gonna happen because as he is, so am I. When Jesus falls out of favor with God, then I will. But that's not gonna happen. And so I am as Jesus is. That's not gonna happen to me. Again, we could go on and on and on. As he is, so are we. The miracle power of salvation is so beyond just a little behavioral modification prayer. And because we so underestimate that you didn't do salvation, it is a miracle, a real miracle of God. And because of that, you, you, you can't undo, you can't just kick out. I mean, you're gonna tell the Holy Spirit who came to, to live with you, you're gonna take your reborn spirit that's now joined the spirits of the righteous made perfect, your new name, your new citizenship, and your new God, and you're gonna waltz up to God and say, God, I want out all this. I need to take this Holy Spirit out of me. I want my old spirit back. I don't want citizenship here. Do you see, gang? It's just, there's red tape just to begin with. No small thing happens to us when we are born again of the Spirit and reconciled to God. No small thing. So to consider it lightly is is in some ways to insult the real power. We've been raised how we've been raised. You believe what you believe right now, but your feelings ought not dictate what you actually believe because none of us feel worthy. He has gifted us with worthiness or we're not worthy. It's just so much bigger. So... Salvation is a big, 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 big deal, and we have yet to explore all the nuances of how awesome what God did for us is. So don't underestimate it nor consider it fragile. So, Pastor, you said, though, after all that wonderful stuff, that there is a chance that I could forfeit it, and I'll I'll run these scriptures quick. Hebrews 6, verse 4 says, For it is impossible to bring back to repentance those who were enlightened, those who have experienced good things of heaven, And here's the kicker for me, and shared in the Holy Spirit. They've had a deposit of the Holy Spirit, I I believe, in Scripture. This is Hebrews 6. Who have tasted the goodness of the Word of God and the power of the age to come, and who then turn away from God. It's impossible to bring such people back to repentance by rejecting the Son of God. They themselves are nailing Him to the cross once again and holding Him up to a public shame. And uh, Hebrews 10 has something very similar. Jesus said, those who endure to the end. There's a, there's a lot of, there, there are scriptures that cause us to have to tap the brakes and go, well, hang on, is there any way? And the way I described it earlier, just of somebody who's just determines, I'm embarrassed I was ever even connected or identified with that. God, I want out. Uh, Pastor, do you think the Calvinists could be right? They absolutely could, and there's a biblical explanation. The Calvinists could be right. They were never saved. To begin with. That's a possibility. The Baptists could be right. They'll be saved, but they'll lose their reward. Scripture says that God will save our soul, but the reward 
that we're going to live with eternally can be done away. The Baptist could be right. Uh, there, there's possibilities as to how this thing could shake out. Or it could be that this person has trampled underfoot and disdained the citizenship, their new identity, the person of the Holy Spirit, and have given away their salvation. Now, I think it's a difficult thing to get out of this covenant, but I wanna say, here's the good news. Jesus gave a, 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 an example to his disciples who were, who were grappling over this. He said, guys, I wanna give you a, a, a parable. A, a farmer went out and sowed seed. His enemy came in and sowed seed as well. He sowed wheat, they sowed weeds. It's called the wheat and the tares. And so the workers in that parable said, master, should we go and tear up the tares so we can save the wheat? And the master said, don't you dare. Let the wheat and the tear, which look exactly the same. Let them grow up together, and at harvest time, the wheat will bear fruit, and then the master will separate the wheat from the tear. They asked Jesus, what do you mean by that? And here's what he said, and I'll just randy redneck it for you. There'll be people that grow up around us that we're questioning, are they saved? They'll look very saved, but they may not be. There'll be people that grow up around us that aren't saved at all, but we'll point at them and go, they are surely saved. It's not our job to go around trying to pull up and figure out who is and who isn't. Jesus said in Matthew 7, don't judge lest you be judged. You are not qualified to read the heart, know the life, or understand my purpose and how I'm working in that life. Don't judge lest you be judged. At the end of the day, Jesus Christ, the one and the only righteous judge, not a, not a charismatic, not Randy Harvey, not a, not, a, not a Calvinist, not a Southern Baptist, not a Reformed Baptist, one person is going to make the judgment. So how you and I agree on this, it really doesn't matter a hill of beans. What matters is what does the judge of all judge say about every single life? Jesus will sort that all out on judgment day. If you have a person in your life that you are in question about, you pray for them, you witness to them. But you better be saved. I'm sorry, that sounded awfully strong, but I, so let me just say it strongly. You, you need to, while you can examine your life, you need to be born again. And I do have a concern that we, the church of Jesus Christ at large, because of our need for efficiency and quickness and get it doneness, that we're loading, we're loading the world with counterfeit conversions because people have said prayers, but there's been no miracle. There's been no change. So how do I know? How do I know that I'm saved? Let me say these real quick. And I know I'm taking extra time today. This is very important. I'll move this quickly. I'm calling this healing for uncertainty. So number one, why, first of all, how do I get healed of this? Questioning God's commitment towards us is Satan's primary warfare. Questioning God's salvation of us is Satan's primary warfare, okay? What do I mean by that? I mean that when Adam and Eve were living with God, Satan came to them and didn't tempt them with anything other than this. Did God really say? Did God really say? That was Satan's number one warfare. When Jesus Christ had God speak over him, you are my son and in you I am well pleased. 
and he was baptized. And listen, Jesus wasn't saved. He didn't have to receive Jesus. He was Jesus. You can't be more full of Jesus. You can't put on Christ any more than Christ put on. But I will say, that's a picture of our salvation, that God came to him. I mean, he didn't have to be baptized, but he demonstrated that for you and me. God said over him, you are my son, and in you I'm well pleased. That's what happens at salvation. Satan comes to him, do you recall? The Holy Spirit takes him out, he, he fasts for 40 days, and Satan comes to him to tempt him. Remember those temptations? Turn the rocks into bread, jump off the church steeple and let the angels catch you, or bow down and worship me. Those are the three temptations of Jesus. You know, I used to look at those and go, that is cheesy. That ain't no temptation. Really, I told Jesus, I said, Jesus, that is no temptation. I mean, that's not a short skirt and a low-cut blouse and a smiling, gleaming, you know, you need to go to Sam Houston State University when you're in your 20s. <laughs> 75% of the population is women and 25% of the cotton is, on, is the only clothing that they're wearing. That's temptation. I thought, Jesus, what, what kind of temptation is that? How am I supposed to get strength out of that? And then after some years, I started to realize he wasn't trying to tempt him to sin. It's not a sin to turn a rock into bread. If you can do it, hallelujah. Here's the temptation. Jesus, at 30 years old, hadn't done squat. He hadn't done a miracle. He's been going to church, but he's been building rocking chairs and, you know, tables and chair, other things. He hadn't done anything to prove he was worthy of being loved and accepted by God. And when God came to him and said, that is my boy and in him I'm well pleased, Satan came and remember the word he said? If, if, same thing he did to Adam and Eve. Did God really say, you know he was trying to tell Jesus, Jesus, how do you know you're accepted if you don't prove it? You know how you prove it? You prove it by doing some miracles and be a good boy and do something kind of miraculous. Prove it and then it'll be true. And Jesus said, oh, we're not falling for that. Man doesn't live by bread alone, but by once God says it, my behavior and how I act and my good weeks and my bad weeks, those are not a part of the calculation as to whether what God said about me is still true. And Jesus was fighting that warfare to say, once I am saved, once God has said, you are my boy and in you I'm well pleased, my good weeks and my bad weeks and me pedaling as fast as I can to try to prove what a good Christian I am, that has nothing to do with my standing with him. It is because he said it and that alone. And Satan comes to create warfare. Once he can't keep you out of hell, he just wants to keep you confused and in confidence and in shame because if you're just still trying to save you, you won't get anybody else saved. If you think little of the salvation of the Lord, you'll spend your whole life trying to save your own neck and you, hey, y'all, good luck to y'all. I got to save me. And if he can keep you in that ring. And I'll tell you, up until times of pastoring, I fought this fight right here. This was ingrained in me. And that, that feeling can come up in me right this second. There's people in this room right now. Everything in you screaming. Hey, wait a minute. That is not God. And that's not the Holy Spirit. That is a training of your, your spirit that, that you've just trained and conditioned your soul and your conscience that way. Your conscience is not your guide. The Word of God. We live by every word that comes out of the mouth of God, and that alone. And we have to push against those emotions that say otherwise. That salvation happened. Evidence, the evidence of my salvation, His Spirit testifies with my spirit, Romans 8. 
This resurrection life you receive from God is not timid, grave-tending life. It's adventurously expectant. Greeting God with a childlike, what's next, Papa? God's spirit touches our spirit and confirms who we really are. How is that evidence? What does it mean to testify? Testify means it's to provide evidence in a case for us. He, the Holy Spirit's providing evidence in a case for us. May be subtle, but as a son or daughter, I want to please God. I would ask you, not do you always please God, but is, is, do you want to? Pastor, that's kind of light. If you're not born again, you don't particularly care that you're pleasing God. There's a drive inside of you when the Spirit comes because he's crying, Abba, Father, and there's something in you that says, God, I want to please, I want to be, I can't always be, but I want to be. I want to obey, I want to have your approval, I want to hear inside, I want, the, the Abba, Father, confirmation is this. I want to hear him say what he said to Jesus. When I read that, everything in me springs up and says, God, that's what I want. I want you to say, you're my boy. And in you, I'm well pleased. I can't wait to drop this stinking, nasty flesh in the conflict and to hear him say, you are my son. I'm going to be with a, a man this, this week on Tuesday who is absolutely sinlessly perfect. He's finally arrived at sinlessly perfect. And he's finally at rest with his flesh. And you know why? Because I'm doing his funeral. That's the only way you reach sinless perfection is to die. But all of that conflict, you know, I, know, I get pretty excited about my death. <laughs> That's how you know. I'm not saying that you're happy about death. I'm just saying I want, I cannot wait for the conflict between flesh and spirit yeah. to finally be put to rest. But until then, by faith. I can't continue. Number two, I can't continue to practice sin. First John 3, it says, As those who make a practice of sin are straight from the devil, the pioneer of the practice of sin, the Son of God entered the scene to abolish the devil's ways. People conceived and brought into life by God don't uh, make it a practice of sin. And you can look in, in 1 John and look at a lot of these kind of things. Here's, here's simply what I want to say to you. How do I know I'm saved? If you can keep sinning. Now, you can. You're capable of sin, and so am I, and I do. But if you can sin and there's no conflict on the inside of you, you are not saved. The Holy Spirit, and I say that to help you, not, I mean, if you just wrote, did a rote prayer and we say it all the time, the prayer's good. The issue's, did the miracle happen? So if nobody went home with you, if holiness didn't go home with you and things start to change, he, God takes up a whole lot of space. So, you know, you, the pregnant women, and, you know, if you're here and uh, you, you lived without any children, and, uh, but you had a baby, ladies. Uh, when you got home, no one had to tell you you had had a child, did they? Things have changed because somebody went home with you. They take up a lot of space. When you get saved and you go home, somebody goes home with you. Something's changed. So you cannot just practice sin. You can sin. But man, when you do, in fact, I'll just say, getting saved takes all the fun out of just continually sinning. I mean, you can, it'll be enjoyable for a moment, but then you go, God, it's just, oh, God, I can't stand it. That's a good thing. That's a good thing. I had a man, some years ago, I was working with a, a man who was, was trying to break free of, of pornography, and this was back in the day before it came over your phone. This was, you had to go buy it and all that stuff. We were three or four or five times in, and he was saying, oh, I'm just struggling with such guilt and such shame. And I had the, a, a crazy question come up in my mind, and I, so, because I assumed this, I said, I said, sir, do you still have pornography in your house? And he went, well, yeah. I was like, 
Well, I thought it was clear. You need to get that out of your head. The reason you still feel guilty is because you're still sinning. Step number one to breaking free of guilt, stop sinning. Yeah. Let's start there. We're going to fail, but when the guilt comes after you're born again, you're going to feel it, and that's a big hallelujah. That's not a, oh, I feel so. That's a hallelujah. Yeah. Holiness is here. Lastly, I'll bring the plane down. The very fact, this, this is just a little Randy, again, a little Randy work here. After 35, 40 years of having that constant thing of, did God, Satan coming to me, did God really say, you really think you're saved? Are you good with God right now? Just incessantly, week after week. I'm talking preaching in this pulpit, reading grace, preaching grace, fighting that battle. I learned a little trick as to how to win that war. Here's what I did. I realized, wait a minute, Jesus Christ, the number one warfare of Satan to try to derail Jesus Christ wasn't a short skirt, and it wasn't money. It was to try to get him to doubt who God had said he is. And when, I, when that light came on, I went, wait a minute. Every time he does that, he is complimenting me. As Jesus is in this world, so am I. The fact that that doubt rises and that things come, that tells me the devil is trying to get me, and he's just coming to say, did God really say? So now when he comes, I go, thank you for the compliment. Hallelujah. I feel very condemned. Thank you, God. I, apparently, I matter enough to get the devil's attention to come and question me again. I just use it as a reminder to say, you know what? As Jesus is, so am I on, in this world. Gang, I hope this is helping you. Let's think about the power of salvation more than if there's some loophole out, though, all right? Let's all stand to our feet like prayer teams come to the front. And as you're coming, I cannot have a message like this. And can I ask a, a, just, a, a, just a help? Would, would y'all keep your seats? And I know it's difficult. Give me five minutes because this is a holy moment right here when some folks that are here are thinking, man, I want what he's talking about. It's not because I said it. It's because salvation is so great and so grand. God is reaching so desperately to rescue you. And what happens isn't just a quick prayer. You are completely changed. Old things pass away. All things become new. And it gets really difficult to get out of a squeeze between God the Father and God the Son covenant. You want that. You want to get in that squeeze. You want to be in Christ. And so I want to give you that opportunity. How you know that that's happening right now is there's a discomfort inside of you right now. You're wondering. There's something going on. That's the power and the person of the Holy Spirit and Holy Spirit. You're the great reaper of souls. It is as clear to you, every soul that is saved in this room and everyone that is not. It is crystal clear, the homesick orphans that have yet to return home. Holy Spirit, go. Do your bidding. You're sensing right now just a troubling, a sense, a welcome. God, I gotta get right with you. That's the Holy Spirit. He's calling you home, and today is the day of salvation, and you need to respond right this minute, right now, to say, God, save me. God, save me. With all heads bowed and all eyes closed, I'm gonna lead the prayer. The words are important, but what's far more important is what's happening in your heart, that you are desperately reckoning with the crisis of the holiness of God, that it would be only by a grace and a mercy that he would rescue and save you, and yet, that's available in the room right now. Call on the Lord while he's near, while he may be found, and he may be found right now. Don't pass up this moment.
Everyone praying after me, Heavenly Father, I'm a sinner and I've sinned against you and I'm fully responsible. Please forgive me. I believe Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He lived for me. He bled for me and he died for me to pay for my sin so that I could be saved, so that I could be accepted. I believe you raised him from the dead and I receive Jesus Christ. I receive Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. I receive the gift of righteousness. I surrender. I'm all yours. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for saving me. Praise God. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed, if you prayed that prayer sincerely to return your life to God, you were just born again. It begins today. If that is you, would you very proudly, godly proudly, lift up your hand to say, I've given my life to Christ. If that's you, would you lift your hand? Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. So proud of you. So proud of you. Praise God. All right, would you all, y'all can all look this direction here. Gang, God's at work. He's at work at this church. He's at work in, in his church. And uh, I want you to be encouraged. If you need prayer for anything under the sun as we conclude today, make your way this direction. If you just prayed that prayer and sincerely gave your life to Christ, there is a card in the, in the, the chair in front of you that says, I said yes. Would you just put your name on it? some way, and an email address, some way for us to contact you. We want to send you something. We want to help you get, get going in your next steps, all right? Uh, let me pray over your finances, and as we conclude today, let me just conclude by uh, just, just praying over all, that the blessing of God would be upon this summer, 2019 summer. Lord God, I thank you that the blessing and the favor of God is over this summer, this entire summer. Lord, I speak rest over hearts. Lord, there are people in here that aren't expecting to get a vacation, but you're, they need one. I ask in Jesus' name that you would provide. There are people that need to get away but can't afford to take time off of work and actually get away, but they need to get with family and get some recoup time. Lord, I believe you care about those kinds of things. I know that you do. I speak the blessing and provision of God over things that don't seem very kingdom-minded, but Lord, you're all about rest. You gave us one day a week and said you rested. And I pray for the rest of God physically and emotionally to come to your people. And I just pray that somebody needed to hear that today. Lord, over all of our finances, we bring our tithe and offering as an act of worship. It is our great uh, pleasure and privilege to give our first and our best to you. And we trust the promises that 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 go along with that obedience that you open the windows of heaven and pour out blessing we cannot contain. Lord, I am fully expecting the windows of heaven to be opened over this church. I fully expect it and call heaven and earth to account to the word of God now over finances, over a financial blessing in the name of Jesus and blessing over families this summer. These things I pray in Jesus' name and everybody said, amen, amen. Thanks for listening to this week's sermon. Find more of our podcasts on iTunes or in our audio library at thecrossing.cc.